This is the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast with Lindsay Preston, episode 138, The Power of Mindfulness. Welcome to the Become an Unstoppable Woman podcast, the show for goal-getting, fear-facing women who are kicking ass by creating change. I'm your host, Lindsay Preston. I'm a wife, mom of two, and a multi-certified life coach to women all over the world. I've lived through enough in life to know that easier doesn't always equate to better. We can't fear the fire, we must learn to become it. And on this show, I'll teach you how to do just that. So join me as I challenge you to become even more of the strong, resilient, and powerful woman you are meant to be. Let's do this. Unstoppable. Well, if you listen to the last episode of the show, you know I am taking a break from recording new content, but we are releasing content from old episodes of my former podcast called Life Lovers Radio for the next few weeks. And I must admit, when I first made this decision to put these episodes out there, I thought, oh my gosh, like these episodes just aren't as good and we're just going to be filling the space. And I will tell you, I have listened back to the interview you're going to hear today and the interview you're going to hear tomorrow or next week, I guess. And they are so fucking amazing. I found myself taking notes. I found myself like taking in lessons that I need to learn deeper and being like, wow, this content's even better than stuff that's been on my podcast now. And so I'm so excited for you to hear these. Um, yeah, the interview today with Andrea Featherstone is all about mindfulness. And we talk about how mindfulness is a key to passion too. And we even just cover the basics of mindfulness and how Andrea came into mindfulness, which is super interesting. And so get ready. Um, the only thing that I kind of cringe at in this interview is my intro that I did before the interview with Andrea. And I just talk really high and I feel like I have to be super professional. Um, but otherwise, the way that I held space in the interview, the questions I asked in the interview, Andrea's responses were freaking amazing. So buckle up. Like this is a really powerful episode and I'm glad you're here to take it in and enjoy my friend. It's a good one. Hey there, life lover. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We're talking all about why mindfulness is your ticket to a hot and passion-filled life. This month on the show is all about turning up the heat in your life because here in the States and especially here in the South, I'm here in Texas, it is hot. It is over 100 degrees nearly every single day. So it's a perfect time to turn up that heat in your life, turn up the passion because I know so many of us are literally living in that heat. So why not apply it to ourselves mentally? Now, I knew when I wanted to talk about passion and mindfulness, I wanted to bring on my friend, Andrea Featherstone. Andrea is my go-to expert in this arena with mindfulness. She is so good at what she does, and she does it in a way that is allowing so many people to realize they're not alone with this voice that they have in their head that I call the inner mean girl. She and the psych world calls the ego, and she even has a special name for it that she'll talk about here on the interview. But we all have this voice, and she's so good in her posts on social media at talking about how this voice can impact her and how she overcomes it, and her clients have had amazing results from her work by her teaching her clients how to be more mindful in the moment. Not only are her clients able to go after what they want more, but they're able to turn up a more passion-filled life for their relationships and especially when it comes to sex. And so we're going to talk about all those things today on the show. Now here's Andrea's official bio in case you're interested. Andrea was a pessimistic architecture graduate who stumbled across mindfulness when she was working on board a Russian superyacht in the Mediterranean, feeling directionless, guilty, and completely lost at sea, literally. 
Mindfulness flung Andrea out of her snappy, cynical ways into a much more passionate life. Andrea now facilitates unconventional mindfulness programs teaching indecisive overachievers how to get clear on their direction and sense of self. Her program is called Bloody Good Life 101, Mindfulness for People Who Raise an Iron Barrel at Mindfulness. As I said, Andrea has some killer social media posts out there, and she talks about her day-to-day life on her popular blog as well. And you can find it at projectself.com.au. And she helps people realize in her blog and her posts that their thoughts are not as uniquely mad as they might think. I think you're really going to love this interview with Andrea today. She's so fun to listen to really funny. She had me laughing several times throughout this interview, and I can't wait to share it with you so you can turn up the passion in your own life and take your life to a whole nother level simply by using mindfulness techniques. Andrea, I am so stoked to have you on the show today to talk about how mindfulness can help us turn up the heat and passion with ourselves and in our life and with loved ones. Can you just kind of describe to us in a nutshell, what is mindfulness? Hello. Thanks for having me. Yes. um, (laughs) There's a lot of definitions of mindfulness, but I just have made up my own one. Basically, I think of mindfulness as the practice of disidentifying from your mind, which is really just noticing that there's a little voice talking to you in your head all the time, distracting you from other things. And um, when you learn mindfulness, you learn that you are actually not your mind. You're not the one generating those thoughts because, you know, sometimes they're quite unfortunate thoughts and you probably didn't want to have them so once you start to realize that then you start to practice training your attention so that you can stay present and focused rather than you know having your mind wander and pull you into you know the future worrying about the future or regrets about the past so that's a very unsuccinct definition of mindfulness (laughs) yeah and what do you call that voice i'm curious um i call i actually have a name for my voice it's called my mind but it's called neville yes Oh, I love that. It's very similar to what I do with my clients. We call it like the inner mean girl, but then they name it. Because everybody, once you like tap into that voice, you know the name. Like it somehow has a personality, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we all have it. It's all part of our DNA. And so I wanted to bring Andrea on the show because she is so good at allowing people to tap into that voice and then mindfully make a shift. And I know you don't use that word, Andrea. What's the word that you use? Oh, right. Well, I don't know. Just, yeah, bring, the, bring their attention, train their attention to bring, come back to self-awareness, really. Yeah. And it seems like so basic and easy of, okay, so you're just teaching someone to be present, but you realize before you do mindfulness, and I think you'll agree with me, Andrea, is like you're never present on yes. your own. <laughs> yeah. In fact, most of my clients, when they first learn mindfulness, they're like, oh my God, I did not know what was in my head. Now it seems to be worse than it was before. I'm like, no, that was always there. You just didn't know, you know? Yeah. So- you just brought it to the conscious. Yeah. You didn't even realize. So I'm curious, Andrea, I know part of your story, but I would love for the listeners to hear it. What was your life like before you discovered mindfulness and how is it different now? Oh, yes. That's a, that's an interesting one. Um, I was a pretty insecure human being, I think you would say, but I think if you saw me from the outside, you'd think, oh, she looks good. She looks happy, you know, like living a good life. But actually, um, I was constantly worrying if I was being boring, you know, when I was talking to someone, I was thinking, oh my God, do they hate me? Am I being boring? And of course I was being boring because I was talking to myself in my head rather than actually engaging, you know, and um, I was always trying to look and act perfect. I'm a perfectionist aren't we all, I think, but, um, so I had this, you know, this outward look of how my life looked, but inside I just felt, I actually felt really numb. I just didn't really see the point of everything. And I used to pick fights with my boyfriends and just, I was just really unhappy. I didn't, I wouldn't have realized I was really unhappy at the time though. So yeah, once I learned mindfulness, a lot of things like that shifted and I started to see the self-awareness of all the voices, voice in my head that was telling me, you know, no one likes you, you're boring, et cetera, et cetera. And once you disidentify from that, you can start to realize, oh, okay, life's actually not as bad as my mind seems to think it is. And you start to get free of that voice and it really changes everything as you probably know. Yeah. So Andrea, weren't you going to school to be an architect? Yes, you're right. Good memory. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, um, I had big plans to be, uh, I just did it because I wanted status and I just wanted to, again, I just wanted to look good. I wanted people to think I was really intelligent and 
Um, so I chose the hardest degree to get into, one of the hardest degrees to get into in New Zealand. They only let in 100 people a year. So I was like, that's great. Everyone will think I'm great if I do that. <laughs> Not really a passion for it, though. Yeah. So it sounds like you were living this life to impress people. Totally. Yeah. And I didn't really know how else to live. I, I guess I, I had no idea who I actually was. So I was just like, okay, well, I'll pretend to be this perfect person, you know? Yeah. And it sounds like being that perfect person was kind of crappy. Yeah, it was really crappy, actually. Yeah, not fun. Yeah, so tell us more about that. What was it like? Being crappy? Feeling yeah. crappy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Um, oh, what else? There's just, so, there's just so much, actually. I just had these amazing boyfriends. I had two amazing boyfriends in, the, in my early life when I was like this. And I just totally destroyed them. They were so nice and so kind and I just walked all over them and I couldn't seem to help it you know when you're just you're in the middle of a, you're picking a fight and you know you're doing it and you can't stop yourself or um just creating drama out of nowhere and I've always considered myself a not very dramatic person but somehow it just I, I would almost like lash out and then I'd feel so guilty and then I'd do it again you know to the point where I totally destroyed those relationships with those poor dudes who were just like oh my god what the hell yeah. <laughs> but trick keep them keen they stuck around and which makes me feel even worse um but I actually see a lot of friends relationships like in the past I think we're actually quite similar you know but we're not honest about how hard it is to be nice <laughs> nice to your partner when he's really nice to you so that was one big thing that I really struggled with a lot before how much more do you want to know about my terrible yeah, life well I can just relate so much to what you just said I remember there were so many guys I dated that the first few months, he'd be like, oh, you're so perfect. And I would think in the back of my head, you just wait, you wait. And then <laughs> I would like unleash it on him. And I remember one guy was like, I didn't know you were this crazy. <laughs> and it was just like, I swear I'm not this person, but I couldn't stop it. I couldn't yeah. not be it. And like yeah. you said, you know, you have those moments where you, your higher self talks to you or whatever it is. And it's like, why are you doing this? But you can't stop. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's debilitating because it also degrades your self-confidence as well. And then you become even more insecure and then you become even more dramatic, you know? Yeah. Not good. So how did this whole thing happen? How did you find mindfulness? how did you make these changes? Um, well, it was a bit of a long story. So I'll try and keep it quite short, um, which is not my strong suit. My strong suit, as you know. Uh, um, how did I learn mindfulness? It was actually initially... Well, when I was self-sabotaging on my relationship, I was working for someone and they were like, have you heard of this thing called self-sabotage? I was working with an osteopath, so they were quite self-aware and, you know, had access to all this information I'd never heard of. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Anyway, so based on that, I went to see a psychologist and she said, um, she said something along the lines of, you know, you just need to bring yourself back to the present moment. For example, you could try, you know, when you're walking down the street, see if you can touch a leaf and feel like what the leaf feels like. And I just remember thinking, this lady is absolutely mental. Why would I touch the leaf? How is that going to help me with my relationship? And then I remember telling my mum on the phone, I was living in Australia in Sydney at the time, being like, ah, she told me to touch a leaf. What the hell? <laughs> and, then, and then so I didn't do anything about it. That was my first introduction to mindfulness. And not long after, my boss, uh, one of the osteopaths at the clinic I worked at, he used to meditate and he was a really nice, really happy guy. And he was madly in love with his wife who he'd been married to for 10 years. And I just thought, wow, this is like a person to look up to. And he used to say in between patients, he's like, I'm just going to meditate. And I was like, that's weird. What, what are you, why? And I had just thought, you know, meditation equals monks levitating and weird stuff. And he was like, no, no, all I do is I just sit in the chair and I just watch, watch my thoughts come and go. It just helps me center my mind. And I was like, wow, that sounds really weird. Anyway, then he uh, bought me the, a book called The Power of Now. And I was like, that sounds like absolute rubbish. Like, what a stupid name for a book. <laughs> yeah. He was trying to, and he could see how badly I needed it because I'd come to work one day and I'd be happy and I'd come to work the next day and I'd be moody and snappy with all the patients and I couldn't seem to control my emotions. And that's exactly how I felt. And he probably saw that. So he gave me this book and, um, you know, cut a long story short, like two years later, I had broken up with my boyfriend, for all of the reasons I said before um, and moved to France and joined a super yacht and I was on the super yacht and I was cleaning um, all day every day for a Russian billionaire and I was doing stuff like vacuuming the walls and vacuuming the ceiling and ironing beds twice a day 
even though they're already like ironed. Um, and it was just so mind numbingly boring that my mind just went off into this, these tangents of like worry about the future and feeling guilty and regret for all the stuff I'd done. It really like took over and it was really painful. Um, and I started to go into a really bad place. And then I remembered this book that Cliff had given me. It was in, I had brought it with me, but never read it. And I just started reading it and it took me a year to read because it's not an easy read. And during that time, I started noticing that I was not as angry when I was vacuuming. I was able to focus my attention when I was vacuuming rather than worrying about the future. And I started to interact with the crew really differently. People started to comment that I was different. And um, yeah, so that was the start of mindfulness completely changing all, the, all of me, all of my life. Wow. So it all started with a little book. All started with a little, really hard to read book. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. I'm sure you had to practice mindfulness just to get through that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like a couple of pages at a time. I mean, when you're reading it, you're like, wow, this is amazing. But then it's so heady and your mind can't really wrap itself around it that it just is hard. I, yeah. I still, I used to send it to all my clients and none of them would read it. So <laughs> a new book. Because it really is that hard. I've never found anyone who's found it, found it easy to read. Yeah. Well, it just takes some time to implement it all, I think, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah, and it's teaching you something that's so foreign that you're like, what? It takes, it takes a lot of mental energy, I feel like. Yeah, so what happened after you read the book? You said uh, you were still working for that billionaire, right? Yes, yep. So you mean in terms of me or the career progression? Yeah, in regards to your mindfulness journey and this coaching, how did this whole coaching thing come about? Yeah, um, that was, again, another like couple of year process kind of thing. I actually... <laughs> To, to move it towards the topic for today. I actually was on the super yacht and I was reading, I, uh, someone posted on Facebook an article about, they said meditation and sex, are they the same thing? And I was like, oh, I don't know what meditation really is still, but I, I, I like sex, you know? So I um, clicked on that link and it took me to um, a Mind Body Green article. And I didn't know what Mind Body Green was at the time. This is like a long time ago now. And uh, it took me down a little bit of a rabbit hole of, uh, learning about sex, learning about self-development. That's what where I was introduced to Kiminami. Um, and then all the way to realizing that all of the Mind Body Green articles were written by coaches and most of them had studied at IIN, you know, you know, um, Institute of Integrative Nutrition. So I was like, oh, what's this thing? So I read about it and I was like, wow, it's telling me I don't need a degree and I could start a business and work from anywhere. That's like amazing. So I thought, well, that's the answer. This is what I've been looking for all this time, you know. Even though I'd never eaten healthily, I literally, my diet before becoming a celiac was like bread, pasta, more bread, maybe some pizza, you know, maybe Indian takeaways. <laughs> so bad. And then I um, thought, okay, well, whatever, I'm just going to become a health coach. That's going to be great. And so I started blending all the vegetables and doing all those things. And I moved to Melbourne, bought a Vitamix, started blending everything, <laughs> everything I could find and studied health coaching. Then I started health coaching and then it... Um, I eventually realized, I'm just trying to keep this as short as possible because it's a long span of time. I uh, started teaching my clients mindfulness because I realized, you know, it's not a lack of healthy food knowledge that stops, makes people eat badly. It's, it's always something deeper than that. And so I started teaching them the skills I'd learned through mindfulness and I started having the same effects as I had had. And then I had a business coach that said, why don't you be a mindfulness coach? And I was like, there, are, there is no such thing. How could I do that? And uh, it turns out I could just do that. So now that's what I do. <laughs> Gosh, that's so cool, Andrea. It just seems like one thing after another, these little nuggets just kind of made this beautiful path for you. Yeah, it's actually amazing. It all, it's like Steve Jobs says, you know, the dots all connect in, the, in like hindsight, but you can yeah. never know what's happening. But looking back, it all makes so much sense. And it all comes together in this really amazing, ridiculous, crazy CV web that just points you to where you're going. I'm actually running a course on it at the moment about how to find your passion and uh, stuff like that. So it's um, super relevant to me at the moment. Yeah. I'm curious, when did you ditch the architect degree? Uh, yes, that was actually um, way before I had learned mindfulness. I was in Dublin. I was in my, like the last year of my degree. You know, that's not true. I just finished my degree and I was starting my master's of architecture. And um, so that was, oh God, long time ago. And I just remember crying as I walked back from the, down the campus after the first week. And I just, the architecture students, they just talked a load of bollocks, like really just really pretentious and talking about these concepts that are all theoretical. And I knew how to do it. That's what I'd done for the last three years. 
but I just was like, I can't do this. This is, if I'd known my values at the time, which I know you know a lot about Lindsay, if I'd known that my two top values are honesty and freedom, I would have known ages ago that my architecture was never going to be for me because there's no freedom with architecture. You work 70 hours a week and you're bound by the building code of the country that you practice in. And there's no honesty because people are talking a load of bollocks all the time about their amazing conceptual <laughs> buildings. Well, we really I just did it because it looks nice. Um, so yeah, I realized I had to change. So I actually quit architecture when I was studying in Dublin and instead I just drank a lot of Guinness and studied like computer programming in French, even though I spoke French and just, I just had a great semester on exchange. Um, and that's after that, that's when I went traveling again. And that's when I got to superyachting. Well, Cause I basically was completely lost. I did not know what to do after architecture. Man, how brave were you to do that? That had to have been scary. It was, it was, it was scary, but I think that I was, I think for me, the reality of facing down a life that I really didn't like was way more scary. So yeah, I totally felt yeah. lost and cried a lot and felt incredibly guilty, but it was almost like it wasn't an option. Like I wasn't really being brave. I felt like I was running away, you know, cause a lot of people say, you know, when are you going to come back to real life? You know, you can't travel forever and all that stuff. So you end up feeling like you're the one running away. Ah, Yeah. That's so true. I think so many people can relate to that of the times when you're waking up and you're being more authentic. And sometimes it looks from the outside, like you've lost your mind. Like, Oh my God, what is wrong with her? She's not following the system. Yeah. yeah. And I, and you say it to yourself too. What is wrong with me? Why aren't I following? Why can't yeah. I follow? Yeah. Why can't I just be quote normal? Yeah. I don't exactly. Well, I loved hearing the whole journey there and how mindfulness has changed you. So kind of give us a glimpse, Andrea, how is life different now that you have mindfulness? So many ways. It's, I'm such like a mindfulness, born again, mindfulness person. I'll just rave at you for ages if, if you let me <laughs> about how great it is. Um, I guess like what springs to mind most quickly is that I, I'm actually quite, I, I yeah, I'm quite confident now. My mind still tells me that I'm not good enough. People don't like me. I'm not friendly, bloody blah, blah, you know. Um, but I don't listen to it so much, which means, which has meant that I've been able to create this business that I absolutely love, which I never would have done because the fear, you know, as you well know, creating your own business, you come across one million blocks and a lot of fear. And um, I just wouldn't have done this without practicing mindfulness because mindfulness kind of allows me to face fear, no, not get rid of it, but like feel it and do it anyway, which is a great saying, but no one really explains how, how do you do that? And then the other thing, which is massive for me is that, um, my relationship now is just, I, it's not even, I don't, I don't think I've ever had a relationship when I look at my current relationship compared to what I had before. Uh, this is just completely different, you know, like we're on the same page. We're completely honest with each other, even about stuff that hurts, you know, we can actually speak what our minds are saying because we both understand, you know, that you are not your mind and sometimes the mind's going to have ridiculous thoughts, you know. Uh, we even talk like, oh, Neville just said this to me and he'll say, Richard just said this to me. Like, are you talking <laughs> about our minds? Which is so, so transformative for a relationship. Um, and all the way to, it changes the way you're intimate with someone, it changes your connection and it's really helped me to not be such a control freak because, you know, as females trying to be feminists, we often end up being the one that takes control and wearing the pants and that actually totally decimates your sexual polarity with your partner, which I didn't realise, you know, yeah. you feel in control but you don't really want to have sex with them and, and they feel kind of walked over so they're not particularly, um, they're not taking the reins either, so... Yeah, that has changed a lot for me. And just, honestly, just everything. My friendships are better. I don't ruin friendships with my weird insecurities or everything. Everything is different. Yeah, it's like, I'll tell you how it's different. <laughs> yeah, it's like life before coaching and mindfulness, life after. Totally. It's, I actually look back on parts of my life. Probably the worst parts of my life were just in the two years before I learned mindfulness. I almost feel like that was a whole different lifetime or a whole different world. Like looking back on that, I'm like, oh, was I really that person? Jesus. Yeah. No? Wow. I totally agree. I always think, man, if I could go back to high school or college or my 20 something years and be the person I am now, I would have had so much fun. I would have rocked it. Yeah, I would kill it now. Damn I would it. kill it. But I gotta, I'm killing it now. So I just got to enjoy the now. Yeah. Enjoy the now, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah. So I think you, you covered it, but I just want to hear straight from your mouth, Andrea. You know, why should someone practice mindfulness? 
because it is the way, the truth, and the light. <laughs> I often joke that I actually literally am becoming like a born-again Christian with mindfulness, uh, which is a problem. Uh, I don't tell people unless they ask me these days, so that's a change. Why should they practice mindfulness? Um, because without self-awareness, you do all sorts of behaviors that you kind of hate, but that you don't know how. So, um, And it makes you feel really bad about yourself. And when you practice mindfulness, you just realize, ah. Oh, I'm not actually crazy. You know, we all have these thoughts. You kind of realize the common humanity, you know, that we all, we all have this crazy mind in our head shouting stuff at us all the time. And it just, it reduces stress. It reduces anxiety. It makes you able to go after what you actually want. It makes you clearer on your gut instinct. I literally could go on for like an hour. So yeah. I'll stop. <laughs> I mean, it just makes life easier. It just, easier. Yeah. Totally. It, authentic and flows, you know, I think Andrea said it so well as like a totally different life, just creates a totally different life. And what you said there of that, you're not crazy. I hear that so many from my client, so many times to my clients of, oh my gosh, you have no idea the weight that's off my shoulders because I really thought I was crazy. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's, okay. It is amazing. So what are your biggest differences that you've seen with your clients by practicing mindfulness? I'm curious. Good question. Um, that's actually quite cool because literally just before this, I got this email from one of my clients who did my program a few, like a couple of months ago. And she said that she's still in touch with the old people from the group and they email each other what it has changed for them. And then she thought, ah, oh, I should email this to Andrea. She should know. So she emailed it to me just like literally this morning. She said, um, she said it had significantly induced, reduced her anxiety, which her, in her words, she said was a bloody miracle <laughs> in itself. <laughs> um, she had found herself like catching herself in the moment and her mind was saying to her, wow, you've really changed. Like the old you would really have taken that really personally and reacted to that and you're not reacting. Wow. Which is exactly, I remember that. I remember those thoughts really clearly. Wow. This is what the old Andrea would have done. Look at what I'm doing now. And so she had the same experience, which is awesome. And she said, uh, what else did she say? Um, things that trigger her don't, uh, that used to, you know, get an emotional rise out of her. She now just takes lightly and laughs off or even is able to kind of shrug it off. Um, and she's also said she was able to identify how she uh, was self-sabotaging her relationship. And she got some closure with an ex after the program. She ended up writing him a letter because she'd realized she'd done a lot of stuff while not being really aware of what she was doing. And she said that was really helpful and that she's actually now in a new relationship um, which she sounds really happy about. And she said that it's really helping practice in mindfulness so that the mind, you know, the voice in your head that says, I'm not deserving enough. I'm not interesting enough. I'm going to screw it up again. Those are her words. Um, there's not affecting her so much so she can just enjoy the relationship as it is without freaking out about all that stuff. So, I mean, and overall that's just her in particular, but overall most people report that they have a lot less anxiety, a lot less stress and a lot of them say, well, my family and friends have told me I'm a really different person or my partner said I'm a really nicer kind of person now, which is so cool. Yeah. So and I've heard from a lot of your clients too, and you just said it there, is a lot of them attract better partners. Yeah. It's actually yeah. amazing. I've never, I'd never like package it like that, but so many of them email me after and they're like, I don't think it's a coincidence, but just met this new person and they're really amazing and it's just different than anything I've ever had. And I just, I, I do believe that when you're just the best version of yourself, then that's when you're going to bring in the people who actually match you at that level, you know, because when you're really insecure, you usually attract someone really insecure or someone who plays off your insecurities and makes you feel worse. It just seems mm -hmm. to happen, you know, and yeah. that's definitely the case for me. Yeah. Or you self-sabotage it. Oh, absolutely. You find yeah. the best guy ever and then you ruin it because you're so insecure or you're so dramatic or whatever. You know? Yeah. Oh, I love yeah. it. Well, how can listeners use mindfulness to turn up the heat and passion in their lives with their partners? Ooh, good question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, in terms, I can always speak in my terms of my own life. Um, I obviously the first thing which I've mentioned so many times already is to help couples not be snappy at each other, you know, to really talk on the level of what's actually going on rather than be like, you did this, you know, because if you do that, that's basically like pouring a bucket of ice on the fire. You know, you're not going to have good sex if you're snapping at each other. Um, you just kind of break the break down the little walls in between you, you know, when you're much more self-aware. 
yeah, and it allows you to have a lot more intimacy verbally, which leads to a lot more intimacy physically, because unless you feel really connected with someone, you don't feel any trust. And if you don't feel any trust, you're not going to open yourself up and mm-hmm. sexually as well. You're just going to be kind of like, you're basically big on having porn star sex because you're just, you know, you're not even looking at them and you're just pretending that it looks really good. And you're not really <laughs> feeling stuff. You know what I mean? That's how yeah. I feel like my life was before mindfulness. It was like, how can I look really good? and do these positions and basically look like a porn star. Um, and then I was like, pleasure. Yeah. Nah, I don't really feel that much. It's pretty boring, you know? And so when you practice mindfulness, you realize that even someone like touching you on your wrist, if you've really put your attention there on your wrist, it's actually an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. And so when you literally use mindfulness during the sexual process instead of treating orgasm like a goal which is basically how we treat treat life you know once i get the promotion then i'll be happy once i have an orgasm then i'll feel good you know we yeah. skip all the stuff in between and mindfulness helps you come back to no okay right now i'm touching my partner's neck or he's touching my neck and it feels amazing so you start to like have these little moments all the way through the journey where you, you really sense you literally use your senses to feel how good it feels um, rather than having that really goal-focused approach, which basically makes you miss the whole process. Yeah. That's definitely what I used to do. So, I mean, mindfulness has been incredibly powerful for my sex life. And also that thing I said before about um, really coming to know each other, because otherwise you can get quite bored with your partner because you, st- you sort of categorize them, you know, like he's this way or she's this way. And you just start to see them as this kind of cardboard cutout that you hold hands with. And it's just like, that's how they are. But when you practice mindfulness you notice that every single moment is different and they they do slightly different things all the time where you start to notice little subtle things about how they look or how they feel or how they act and that brings you like a much more um you're like a more 3d approach to that person realizing that they're a person that's constantly changing and shifting as well and that makes it really much more exciting and you're interested in them and you want to explore them you know like both physically and mentally i just think it's very easy to become bored in relationships especially nowadays when we've got so much mental stimulation with phones and stuff, you know, you can lose touch of the fact that they're a multifaceted human as well. And that makes them boring. And then why would you want to have sex with someone boring? You know? Yeah. I mean, what I just keep hearing you say, it's all about the presence. It's all about being in the present moment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is nothing else really because anything else is is a story in your mind, you know, like, because you might have a story like me and my partner look really good. Me and my partner, look like we have great sex. People think we're really great because we have great jobs. And that's none of it very satisfying because it's just a story in your head. It's, you're not yeah. actually experiencing anything, you know? Yes. Yes. Oh, and one more thing. Can I yeah. say? Yeah. Um, th- the biggest thing I've really noticed um, has been to realize some of my patterns with it, which I mentioned before with um, taking control and not being basically not being feminine um, not that you need to be all girly or anything. I'm obviously not a very girly type, but um, I had taken on the notion that to be a feminist, I need to be more manly and not like look manly, but like, you know, just be in charge of my life and always everything, you know, everything I had under control, which meant that I walked over my partners a bit. I wouldn't let them do anything for me. I wouldn't let them, you know, so that it becomes a really unequal partnership, which is, it's a weird thing because what we've been fighting for is equality, but what we've done instead is, often as females we make our partners into like the lesser one and that's really disempowering for them and it's also not that fun for you because you don't want to feel like a taskmaster who's like oh you didn't park the car ride again or you know whatever the <laughs> hell you get pissed off about for no reason oh yeah. my god and that totally i think just we can all relate to that yeah right I think I just don't know any females who don't behave like that anymore where we are, we're in control. I, even my brother just the other day we were talking about, I was saying how um, like it's the patriarchal idea that we females change our names to um, the name of our partner. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that. That's what, what, that is why, why would you do that? Um, and he was like, well, the thing is Andrea, the reason is, is because women take control in every other related aspect of the relationship. So at least you've got to give us the name, you know, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. But I'm still not going to. <laughs> I, I love how you touched on that, Andrea, because I think so many of us, especially here in the States, because of the whole election drama that we're still trying to take in here, but the whole Hillary Trump thing is we're trying to figure out that balance of, okay, how can we be strong women and we're still empowered and we're still making a difference while still being feminine. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a really tricky balance, uh, especially when you're in a relationship with somebody. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that you tapped on that. And I think for me, I don't know if, if you can relate to this. It's just been a trial and error. Ooh, okay. I went a little bit too, I guess, masculine energy there or, Ooh, okay. I really like that. That was a good flow. Um, and so it's just trial and error. Do you have any tips on that? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think for, for starters, it is to really look at what do you actually think of when you think of femininity? Cause even still when someone says, Oh, femininity, I'm like, ugh, weak, like, you know, like my, that is my automatic reaction. I've, I've grown up in a really um, patriarchal kind of a family and stuff. Not my, not my mum, but definitely my granddad. And so I, I still think of the feminine as like a bad thing, you know, but when I, I actually know that it's not, but I think we have to really look at our, our, our little deep seated ideas we have about what it means to be feminine, you know, and because being feminine means anything. It usually, it usually means in Chinese medicine kind of ideas, they talk about it meaning the softer, more yielding um, approach to life. Whereas the yang is the masculine kind of driven, forceful kind of approach. And we often think of that as a bad thing, you know, the, the, the softness and the yielding, but sexually, I think that's so important. It doesn't mean that you're being, it means that you're being vulnerable, but it doesn't mean you're being weak or like you're actually being more powerful in my opinion, because you are, it's actually way more powerful to be, to open and to be vulnerable than it is to shut down and be hard. And like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I can relate to that. And It's a huge practice because that does not come naturally. Definitely not to me and definitely not to anyone. But when you are able to practice that, you can slowly let go a bit and let go of control. And that's where you feel the most turned on. In my opinion, not, I'm not just talking about 50 shades of gray control. I'm just talking about in life in general, let things happen a little bit more, not always need to be like gripping onto the reins of life, like trying to pull it, rein it in, you know, letting stuff happen. It's that easefulness, that flow, you know, that you were talking about. Um, And that's a huge practice. And it basically starts with the practice of undoing everything you've ever been taught about what femininity means and what it doesn't mean and what you think it means, uh, which you need a lot of self-awareness to do because you don't even know sometimes that these ideas are floating around making you want to be more, more or less one way or the other. Yeah. You know, after the election, I was so upset and I thought, why am I so upset about this? And I had to sit down and write about every time that I feel like I was shortchanged because I was a girl or a woman And just these little things that I didn't even realize I was aware of came out like times in school when I wouldn't get things because I was a girl because I would be like, oh, she's too high strung or this or that. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy that this is going on in my mind. And so it just, yeah, like you said, I really had to think about what is it to be a woman? How can I balance this between the two? Because I don't want to be this hard ass. I want to still be vulnerable and emotional while still getting stuff done. Um, And so, yeah, I think there's just a lot of women out there right now trying to find that balance. So what Andrea gave there, I think is just amazing stuff to really figure out, you know, what does femininity mean to you and figure out maybe some of the things that are holding you back from being the balance you want to be. Absolutely. That's amazing. You did that. That would be fascinating. I feel like I should do Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to touch on there is I was just thinking about this the other night was with my husband. You can put kind of the story together here, but I was with my husband and after everything was said and done, I laid there and I thought, how did I ever have sex with anybody else? Because this is the first time in life when I'm able to be vulnerable and feel safe with somebody. And, you know, sex is such a vulnerable thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing the difference that sex can be whenever you start to become more self-aware and quiet that mind and be present and feel safe with somebody and not create this drama and this gap between you. It just takes life and especially your sex life to a whole new level. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think it's probably the case in many relationships, but a lot of men or a lot of people who, who prefer the masculine energy, they're craving that too, but because we shut it down all the time, they don't feel safe to take charge. So they don't feel safe to be in that role. So then if they don't feel safe, we don't feel safe. And then we, we can't be vulnerable. And it's, I totally agree with you. Like I, I don't know how I had sex before mindfulness either. Like this just must've been a bit of acting really, isn't it? (laughs) It really was. I remember so many times I was like, Oh yeah, I'm supposed to be enjoying this. Okay. Okay. Um, Make a noise. Make a noise. (laughs) How do I look? Do I look okay? 
great. Yeah, that's my hit. Okay, um, but Missy, okay. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And I loved what you said there too of a lot of times we're just kind of having this tornado effect of our insecurity or our energy. And so we're kind of pushing each other away because mm -hmm. we're not making each other feel safe. That's so good. Okay, so Andrea, I wanna ask you some fun questions. These are questions I ask all my guests. They're just kind of random. Awesome. Are you ready? Okay. Yep, ready. Are you a dog or cat person or neither? Dog, one million percent. <laughs> Are you? Boxer dogs specifically. <laughs> oh, cool. That's so awesome. Do you have a dog? No, but I've been, um, I've been using the Airbnb of dogs, which is called Poor Shake in Australia. And I've been looking after other people's dogs and they're paying me, which is super weird because I'd pay them, honestly. But I only look after dogs that I want to I wanna maybe get, like boxes and staffies and um, big dogs. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's, so do people go out of town and then you just take care of their dog? Yeah. It's literally like, like they just Airbnb their dog out. Like uh, I'm, the, I'm the host and I have a dog to stay and I look, I take it for walks and hang out with it. It distracts me from work for an entire day. Then they come back from work, pick it up. So I get usually like a few days or half a day or, and I just do it when I feel like having a dog around. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's the coolest thing. I need to see if we have that here in the state. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Okay, so what's your favorite book? My favorite book um, is, I'm going to say, The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Even though it's the hardest book I've ever read, it's the most life-changing, so I can't really go past it. I just, everything in my life I can put down to the moment I read that book, like now. That's so awesome. You know, that's what I'm doing what I'm doing. That's so awesome. Thanks, Eki. I'm still trying to meet him. I keep going to all his conferences being like, meet me. You know, he's only got millions and millions of followers, that's all. Okay, what's something you love to do and can't imagine life without it? actually building furniture <laughs> so really? yeah I don't mean I'm sure I could go a few months without it but um I've been doing these woodworking courses I just it's like I guess it's a bit of a mindfulness practice for me I love using tools because you can't you you are so present when you're using tools because you know you might accidentally chop off your fingers otherwise and so it just brings you into this fully mindful state and I just love making wood things I've made most of the furniture in my house um if honestly if I if I didn't do mindfulness if I didn't have my current business now, I'd probably make furniture and I'm probably going to try and find a way that I can do both, you know? Yeah. I was about to say that's a good new side business for you. Totally. Someone was like mindfulness and woodworking. Let's see how we can do <laughs> My project manager was trying to convince me that I should do both and try to make them into a program, you know, like how to woodwork mindfully or something <laughs> like that. You know? yeah. Oh my gosh. That would be so funny. I could totally <laughs> see it though. There are some courses out there that you would never think, but they work. Yep. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so what does having a life you love mean to you? Uh, everything. <laughs> it's everything to me. Um, having it all? It means um, being authentic, really living in life and in, in alignment with my values. That's what it means. Yeah. Yeah. What's been your favorite setback in life? Uh, favorite setback uh, is probably actually when I realized I couldn't do architecture anymore because it was a huge setback to realize that my very expensive career path had become um, not like a failure, you know, like I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and it was such a hard time in my life, but also the most pivotal probably because if I hadn't quit, I wouldn't be where I am now. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the hardest times that make yeah. us make the most change. Totally. Yeah. So what's one thing you'd do if you had no fear? Oh, hmm. I think, um, I just say I think I do all the things that I want to do mostly. <laughs> I feel I like my, say. Not, I feel like you're pretty fearless. <laughs> it's not fearless. I have all the fear. I just, um, practicing mindfulness allows you to get around the fear, you know, to, to have it there and still do stuff anyway. And, and now I much more readily go after my gut instinct rather than what fear tells me I should or shouldn't do. However, um, probably my next step is going to be more speaking. And that has always been a fear for me because um, I waffle as well. So I'm going to do some speaker training and um, learn how to do that. But I, and I think if I had no fear, I'd just get up and do it, you know, stand up in front of a bunch of people and do it. But it's a bit scary. Yeah. It's exciting though. It's a good new step. And I love how you said there, you still feel the fear, but you just know how to get over it. That's how we all are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, think, yeah. I think we think we need to be confident before we do something, but when have we, if like the only way you get confidence is by doing something, you know, yeah. so you have to feel shit about it, do it. And then later you'll feel confident. Exactly. So, I live life now. Yeah. 
Okay, last fun question. How can women start to support each other even more in life? Well, that's a good question. Um, I feel like it's changed so much already. It's so good. Like I go to a woman only um, co-working space and it's really cool to see women business owners empowering each other. But um, I would actually say again, just be a born again mindfulness person, um, practicing mindfulness because I was watching this TED talk a while back um, that said that biologically at the time when we ovulate as women, we, we become naturally more competitive with other women simply because biologically it makes sense that we want to all fight for the alpha male at that time, mm-hmm. um, which I think is like flowed over into these subconscious things that we do, um, especially with women in business or like looking at each other, comparing with each other. And that kind of stuff is a little bit inherent. Like it comes a little bit naturally to us and though we can shut it down, it's not always the most effective way, you know, cause it's still, you know, you can feel a bit of jealousy or a bit of stuff in the background. And so in my opinion, learning self-awareness, like learning mindfulness can help you kind of notice those funny little things going on and, and basically disidentify from them so they don't change your behavior, you know, so that basically you start to become much more open and much more supportive and empowering of other women really authentically you know from the from from somewhere beyond the mind i guess you know because your mind can very easily tell you that no you need to really win here you know i need to be better than the women and then i'll be nice to them that's that has always been um my thing in life is like no i have to be the best one you know i can't be i can't be second or whatever and that makes you really competitive and that's not supporting at all I'm not sure that answers the question, but. Well, no, it does perfectly. Um, And I love how you brought that up with some of the biology there is a lot of times we think we're more involved than, you know, our kind of caveman or cavewoman days. But the reality is, is like our brain is still the same and we have these natural instincts and desires and those things play out in a bigger scale now because we are beyond just having food and reproducing. Right. And so it comes out in a business sense or in a friendship sense. And so we have to just be mindful of those times when, you know, we are ovulating or we're on our period or whatever, or, you know, just these little things that are going on in our mind that we don't have any idea of, but once we're mindful of it, like you said, then you can say, Oh, okay, that's so silly. You know, I don't need to hate on her. She has a different partner than I do. She's not after my guy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So good. Making yourself not feel bad for, you know, accidentally feeling jealous of someone or, you know, because you don't actually want to be competitive. Like no one likes being bitchy to someone. It's, but we do it kind of naturally sometimes, not everyone, but sometimes, and it's good to be free of that, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, what is something that someone can do today to start living a more mindful life? Um, well, the first thing I always get my clients to do, which I sounds like you do as well, is to give their mind a name because when you call it by a different name than yours, you stop thinking of it as yourself. So I always suggest that people call their mind a name that's like a little bit funny, like a little bit silly, um, you know, like an old lady, an old man's name, something a bit funny that you wouldn't really want to call your kid. And the reason is because your mind is actually really trying to help you. It's trying to give you really good advice, but it's not always that helpful. That's something I teach too, is that we associate it like we hate that part of us. Oh, I hate that part. But the reality is, like you said, it's trying to keep us safe and secure. It thinks it's doing us a favor of, hey, remember that one time you got hurt? Yeah, we don't want to do that again. So let's not do that or let's sabotage ourselves in that way. When we have to just kind of coax it, train that voice and um, just tell them, you know, like, you don't need to be in control here to sabotage me. I'm going to be okay gonna be all right our minds think well we're alive so i must have done the best job ever you know yes. i'm gonna keep doing what i've been doing worrying a lot great it's working well we're still yeah. alive yeah yeah, yeah so, exactly flawed mechanism i reckon yeah well is there anything else you'd like listeners to know about mindfulness or passion or how they can blend the two before we finish up um so many things i probably would just say um to 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 teach your friends to name their mind or learn as much as you can about the the whole voice in the head thing, because it's just so important that we realize we're not alone in our thoughts and we're not the only one that's having these mad thoughts or stressful thoughts or thinking, you know, jealousy or whatever. And I have these group programs where I get all these women and sometimes men on the call and, and they just talk honestly about what their minds are saying. And they're just all like, Oh my God, 
I had no idea I wasn't the only one. There'd be 60 people from all over the world on the same screen going, oh my God, you know? And um, so that's what I really always want people to know is that if you think you're struggling, it's probably not unique to you. And if you just be honest with people about it, you'll often find that people are way more open to it than you realize, you know? Yeah, so true. So true. So true. Well, Andrea, where can listeners find you and reach out to you? Oh, yes. Well, uh, my website is Project Self, like myself, S-E-L-F dot com dot A-U. And that's it. Or on Facebook. Um, I think I'm facebook.com slash Project Self A-U. Those are my main places that I post blog posts and things like that about my mind. Cool. And Andrea has some awesome posts. She posts great stories, how she hears things in her mind and how she overcomes them. Sometimes her stories that they like make my jaw drop um, (laughs) because they're just like to the point. I remember one email in particular of you said, I, I used to think I was that girl who couldn't come. And I, my mouth like dropped like, Oh my God, I can't believe she just said that. Um, but it was something again that you just touched on is, you know, a lot of times we think we're alone and yeah. oh my God, you, you are like that too. It's so freeing. And so when you follow Andrea, you'll see how just freeing it is to hear her stories and you'll realize that her mind is probably a lot like your mind. Yep. Totally. That's actually my, everyone writes me and says, I can't believe it. It's like you're reading my mind. And I'm like, that's so helpful for me to hear because it just, it gives me more confidence to share the crazy shit my mind does because I just know now there's no one, like if I'm thinking it, there's a million people thinking it, you know, and people yeah. can't believe it. They can't believe that we're all thinking the same thing, but it's true. Yeah. You know? yeah. So okay. I love writing about it and I love getting emails from people saying, Oh my God, I didn't realize we're all crazy. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing all your wisdom with us today. I can't wait to have you on again soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's so fun talking about myself. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Lindsay. Hey there, Miss Unstoppable. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you enjoyed it, share it with a friend. Send them a picture of this episode via text, via email, share it on social media. I'm sure they would be so appreciative to know these strategies and tips on how to accomplish your dreams. If you are ready to guarantee you're going to accomplish your goals and dreams, then it's time to start coaching with me. In my nine-month simple success coaching system, I am going to walk you every single step of the way to ensure that you get the goals and dreams that you want. The first step is to apply for a free 60-minute consult call. Just go to lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y, epreston.com forward slash apply to get started. As always, my friend, remember... You're only as unstoppable as you believe you can be. So believe in yourself. You got this.